0: Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about If Beale Street Could Talk, the newest film from Barry Jenkins, writer-director of 2016's Moonlight, the Oscar Best Picture winner for that year. I'm very happy to be joined by my friend Elijah Howard. Elijah, what's up?
1: Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be back.
0: And also, I have Daniel Lima back, and they've both been guests on multiple podcasts, but not at the same time, so
2: this is exciting. Daniel, what's going on? oh, not much. I just got back from the movie that we're about to discuss.
0: Yeah, so it's a little fresher in your head. been uh, I saw it last weekend. I know Elijah saw it about a, a week before that. So who knows? We might be relying on you to do all the heavy lifting in this. I don't know what that means uh, because... Uh Daniel is uh, Daniel doesn't come into this as big of a Barry Jenkins fan as Elijah and I but before I get started I'll say uh, um, like I mentioned it is the newest film from Barry Jenkins it's an adaptation of a James Baldwin novel by the same name it follows a young couple uh, in Harlem who have recently gotten engaged Tish played by relative newcomer Kiki Lane and Fonny played by Stefan James. Fonny is falsely accused of rape and sent to jail. Tish and her family and Fonny's family then have to work together to prove his innocence while also taking care of Tish after she learned she was pregnant. Regina King plays her mom. Tanoia Paris plays her sister. Uh, and there's a, a, a pretty deep cast beyond that, a big bench. Uh, the movie's also not told in a linear manner. We kind of get flashbacks to the earlier parts of their relationship and then some other interludes involving them but not necessarily about how their relationships developing daniel i want to start with you because uh moonlight was uh elijah's favorite movie of 2016 if i remember correctly mine he and i both also like medicine for melancholy barry jenkins first movie from 2008 and you really despised medicine for melancholy and also did not like moonlight. uh did if beale street could talk make you a barry jenkins fan
2: no <laughs> <laughs> no it did not what <sighs> What what's with this guy, man? Is he is he just like is he allergic to developing characters? You mm. know that's that's my that, is he. This is a man who constantly loses the tree for the forest. Uh, this is a movie that I mean it's you know an adaptation of James Baldwin. It's supposed to be very lyrical and poetic and you know grandiose. And to a an ex- certain extent, I appreciate. The craft that he brings to the story and the fact that he likes to elevate these sort of, you know, black family dramas, uh, stories of black struggle. Like, I, I appreciate it. But the man doesn't seem to get people. The man doesn't seem to be able to build a narrative around human beings. You know, uh, it, it's all just lots and lots and lots of Flash uh, with no nothing to ground it.
0: Elijah, do you think that's a fair characterization of this movie? Do you think that we have people that we can really get to know that are developed characters? And even if not, do you think that is, aside from the the main point of what he's trying to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I would agree that the characters aren't developed, but I would say that that's ancillary to the larger, uh, you know, idea behind the film. And to an extent, I think, what he was at least trying to go for in in Moonlight, and if if you'd said you felt that way about Medicine for Melancholy, I'm not sure I would agree, but at least I would, I would I think I would kind of understand. Um, and to say it about Moonlight again, I disagree, but I kind of understand. For this film, I think you have to just kind of look past it. I don't think it's really a relevant point because I think, um, you know, obviously you're not going to do a direct adaptation of if Beale Street Could Talk. I mean, it's too much. Of a tapestry. Have you read work the book? To really, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I have I mean, it's too much. It's too much of a tapestry work. Too, too. It's too broad. Um, you know, to to kind of focus on to focus on on, on the human element to it. Um, and I think this film, even if you could accuse it of not really developing its characters, I think it's more about just kind of peeking in on those incidental moments in human life. Um, in order to register uh, a greater narrative about the experience of all of these people um, and how they're connected together by, I mean, let's face it, by the one uniform thing that unites them all, which is their skin color. Um, You know, and that's, I think, that that was kind of, to me, that was the main takeaway from the film. And, um, you know, regardless of whether or not, you know, Kiki Lane, for example, whether or not, Tish's character is really examined because she's not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that she is um but but I will say that to me that was because she was the closest thing we have to an audience insert and we're watching these people around her struggle and she never gets to see the full extent of that and we as the audience never get to see the full extent of that we only see these little moments
0: yeah, I, Daniel. I would actually say I, your point's pretty well taken, and I my thing is, I still love Moonlight, even though I can't even disagree if someone wants to say that Chiron's not like the very developed as a character in Moonlight because. To me, that was almost in some ways like the point of Moonlight. I actually think the adult characters are, are fairly well developed, and but the the fact is like when someone like Chiron is trying to come to grips with his sexuality and does not have a very strong support system at home, I always kind of saw that as like, of course, your personality isn't going to get stunted and you're not going to really grow as a person in the way you should, and it didn't really matter to me as much that he was as much of a blank slate as he was, and I found everything else about the movie really powerful. Here, I, I, I kind of agree, like you don't really get to know them and you don't really get to know what makes Kiki or fonny uh tick or not kiki uh um tish or fonny really tick uh but i mean i feel like they do a really good job and i I would say i I should start out by saying at least that i like moonlight better than this movie but i still really appreciated a lot of what bill street had the offer and i still enjoyed it but I, i agree i agree i think it would be a more fulfilling movie if you really did get to know them as characters but it's almost like i still bought that they were in love because of just the filmmaking itself and it's uh just, I'm sure we'll talk some about the cinematography and the score and all that, but it still created a mood and it's relies way more on its atmosphere. Whereas uh, I thought Moonlight relies way more on a story that's very lean and focused, and I think that might just be more my kind of movie in general. But maybe, and I usually like to complain a lot about characterization. If you don't develop your characters a lot, it's just one of the, it's just something that comes up a lot on this podcast, and it's something that would really bother me with a lot of filmmakers. And and I think maybe there's just a lot else, a lot of other stuff going on here for me to distract me from that, and maybe that's why. I just didn't even really think about it till the movie was over Like huh Maybe I didn't really get to know him that well But I still kind of got what they were going through And I felt like they were in love And I still And I ultimately appreciated Some of the larger points he was making About the Just the criminal justice system And how he went about doing that And I think I got enough out of that stuff That it, even if it wasn't a great character study That didn't bother me as much But I guess For whatever reason In Barry Jenkins' work Maybe I'm, Daniel I guess that just, uh, That stands out for you
2: huh? Yeah um, To the point that, uh, you know, this is a movie that's more interested in the, you know, grand overarching things connecting these people to one another. I knew I knew that that would be brought up. And the thing the problem is that that stuff does need to be grounded to some extent in the people experiencing these grandiose themes. Uh, it's really hard for me to, you know, give this man credit or you know, developing that atmosphere, and you know, you know, uh, so artfully conveying, you know, what the audience is supposed to be feeling, without really grounding who these people are and why they feel the way they feel. The you know, love scenes between um, uh, the two main characters. I genuinely don't remember their names. Uh, the, the love for the, the, for are the, for the like,
0: sake you know, of the podcast, I'm going to tell you again. They are Fanny and Tish. Makes Fonny it really and easier Tish. easier to refer to them. Yeah. Great. Okay.
2: Fonny and Tish. The 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 love scenes between them, you know, they're you know, with this soaring orchestral, I mean orchestral string score. And uh, there's like, you know, so, they're so lovingly photographed. And I love the craft going behind it, but I don't I don't know why these two love each other. I, I genuinely don't know. I get that they're in love. I know this movie is trying to sell me on their love and how it feels for them but i don't i don't know why they love each other man and that's a really bad question to have to ask yourself when you're you know an hour into a two-hour romance uh but it, I,
1: I would say that's kind of the point though i mean they literally even say that within the movie is that tish says that she doesn't really understand why she you know loves Fanny. it's just that they've been together for so long and i i think that to me that's realistic I think that actually happens to people. I think you grow up with somebody and you know them, you know them physically, you know them so intimately um, and you develop a bond with them regardless of whether or not you have, uh, you know, you have a flash pan moment where you're like, oh i love you it happens to me i i thought that was uh, it was really realistic and beautiful that it to happens to be clear to be clear time. i don't
2: i don't necessarily mean like the like how they got to know each other that's not necessarily what i mean what i mean to say is that when i'm with a couple in real life you know and they're i see them with each other and i see how they look at each other and you know i see how they talk to each other i understand instinctually, why these two people care about each other so, or what one loves about the other, or I can get that within this, you know, we're human beings, empathetic people, you know, uh, beings, we're able to get, you know, how, why other people feel the way they do about each other. And in this movie, I, I, I don't get that. I get that they're in love, but I don't see the why. I don't see what does i'm sorry tish and fanny 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 i don't see what fanny sees in tish and i don't see what tish sees in fanny so when they're lovingly gazing at each other i just see like an emptiness and barry jenkins in the background as like the wizard in wizard of oz just like here there's this is this see how much love there is in the air uh it's a smoke screen, man. It's a smoke screen that's you know covers up. What, watching this movie, I realized that I've been way way too hard on the color purple. <laughs> because that's a movie that I think deals with the same sort of grandiose themes and Spielberg is a filmmaker who is obsessed with you know these uh, um, um, you know grand uh, expressions of human emotion, but he's also a filmmaker who gets how people work and how they interact with one another. Uh, and that's not something that I get watching this movie or any of Barry Jenkins's other work.
0: That's one of the more jarring things about this movie for me is that, I mean, I, I really enjoy Medicine for Melancholy and I enjoy just hanging out with those two characters in that movie, and I know you don't, but it, it is almost jarring, just that the first scene with the, with the families here where they interact when uh, Tisha's family comes over and it, it kind of boils over and erupts, that was almost jarring to see, I came to the realization it's the first time I've ever seen a scene that Jerry barry jenkins wrote where there's more than four people in a room talking and i i particularly like that scene my, my theater got really into it and it's and it tells you a lot about it tells you what, you get way more you learn way more about just about every character in that scene aside from tish and Fonny, than you do about tish and Fonny for the whole movie um i would say just about like what how the, who they are as people and like i said earlier what makes them tick because really every 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 character in that scene including their siblings have like breaking points and it's i thought it was really compelling i don't i don't know what struck you about that elijah but i mean i thought that that was just like a very unique muscle for him to flex that i'd never seen him use before
1: yeah yeah i mean i would i would agree i think it's cuz um, you know, we've never really seen it before because in his influences, in where he draws his most, you know, direct connections from in, in the rest of cinema, that's not a very common tradition. Well,
0: that was—it's um, funny you mentioned that because I was going to next ask you. I mean, a lot's been said about how he really Barry Jenkins is a huge Wong Kar Wai fan. I haven't—I personally have only seen King Express, and I haven't really seen other stuff. I mean, can you see a lot of Wong Kar Wai in this movie, and does that go to somewhat? Uh, Daniel's talking about. In those movies, Do you would you say there's a, a more examples of you actually understanding why the characters are in love? Do, do they explain that kind of thing more?
1: No. I mean, I, would, I think this is the closest he's... Uh, even if I agree, by the way, with your previous statement that you said before about you liking Moonlight better, I, I still think I agree. I did like this film a lot, but um, I do think this is closer to his um, to his, I don't know, to his... His Pygmalion of, of, um, of Wong Kar Wai, um, his you know glass statue of what he sees Wong Kar Wai's uh, you know touch of cinema as. So um, I think you know you can draw the most direct comparisons here. And to me, I mean, Daniel, you've seen In the Mood for Love, right? Like I did, I have. Yes. And you did you
2: like that movie? Um, in the mood for love? Uh, less so than Chung King Express. I actually, I, I'm cold on uh Wong Kar in general, and uh, so then, so then in the mood for love specifically. Well, actually, I kind of think that Wong Kar Wai manages to. I mean, it's his style, but he does it better than Barry Jenkins does because even though he does have the, they do share the same obsessions, and uh, you know, uh, Jenkins does crib a lot of influence from Wong Kar Wai. I think that Wong Kar Wai is also a more you know, subtle filmmaker. I don't well, think Hawa that... Wong is
1: also more mature. I mean, he's been doing this for 20 plus, you know, for 30 years. I mean, if you go back and watch, uh, you know, Days of Being Wild or As Tears Go By, like, I, I feel like you would have similar criticisms of, you know, unevenness to those. But I, I, I think, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but what I was getting at was that I think Wong Kar Wai has developed over his career is this sense of like pain and arduousness that's in all of his films, where it's just like it's so it's not slow in that it's um you know it's not like the medium speed you know how people refer to like the speed of a medium it's it's not slow in that there's nothing happening it's slow is in you know what is going to happen or you can tell what is going on but you have to sit there and wait and, and feel that pain and to me that was this film captured that the best of any of Barry Jenkins's three films so far and i think it came the closest to reaching the way that Wong Kar-wai does it where you are it's 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 it's, it's weird it's like sexual it's tense it's it's just this it's it's a desire you know it's filled with desire and and at the same time it's completely isolating and it makes you sit there and makes you very aware that you're sitting there and watching this happen. So to me that was the, that was the connection that I saw in terms of their style between you know what Wong Kar-wai is known for doing and what Barry Jenkins
2: you know what, what I felt that he accomplished in this film. There is that this does bring up something that I think also kind of bothers me about Ray jenkins as a as a director um the culture or at least the conversation around him of course he's very influenced by Wong kar wai that much is true uh but i think that people lionize him in a way that you know ignores the other influences that he's pulling from when a, you you refer to the the din- the dinner scene where she announces her pregnancy to uh uh fuzzy's family i'm sorry i i completely forgot it, it it just Antonio? funny his funny 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 alfonso and his name is alfonso yes okay okay so uh, when she announces her pregnancy oh, to, Alon- it's actually a, it's
0: actually Alonzo, which makes it even more confusing. It makes sense if it was like <laughs> Alonzo. Apparently, it's Alonzo, but they call him funny.
2: I remember being confused in the theater listening to that. So, um, she announces, you know, her pregnancy to these, and you have like a room full of people. I think there's like eight different characters in that room. Uh, I think that it's the best scene in the movie. Uh, for me, that's not high praise, but I think that it is the scene that works the best. But it, I think it also highlights the fact that uh, Beale Street, man. This—if you put Tyler Perry Presents in front of the oh title—I would not have been able to tell you the difference. I think that, but I do think that such he, a sh- he is, it's such a b- shot below the belt. <laughs> he is—he is pulling from a lot of those same influences. He's pulling from like you know the black melodrama that goes back you know decades, uh, and I think doing so honestly not as good as people like tyler perry or uh you know 2015's fences did uh these characters are all in a room together but some of them aren't really characters some of them are cartoons uh the mother and the two uppity sisters uh of uh alonzo alonzo yeah, Alonzo, yeah, yeah yes uh the only character who ever feels like a real character, and this is one of the highlights of the movie, from being, is uh, Tish's father, who plays him again. I'm sorry, I know,
1: Coleman I, I, Domingo, and yeah. I, I was going to bring that up too. I mean, I think he's not getting nearly enough praise. Um, mm. You know, this this year, people, and I, I do. I I like Regina King. I know you know probably more so than you did, but I do. I, this is our handshaking moment. <laughs> I, I,
2: think, I think Coleman Domingo was fantastic in this movie. Absolutely absolutely absolutely. i would be willing to i'd be seeing him get a supporting actor and i came away not really understanding the hype behind uh regina king i i i i don't really get the the, the hype somebody geeked, one of you guys explained this why wh- what is because she's just doing the black mom role in every single black melodrama ever made and not particularly doing it in a very interesting way. Uh, in fact, some of the times, it, you know, her performance, you know, uh, crosses into unintentionally hilarious. The scene in Puerto Rico.
0: We'll get to the Puerto Rico scene. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I when I've been talking about the Oscar stuff, like I don't know if she'd be like my my winner if I was like, who's your best supporting actress of the year? But I would like much rather have her in there than Margot Ruby, which is like what it felt like it was coming down to when I forced myself to go see Mary Queen of Scots the other night. But but, but I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I still appreciate it. Like I I actually do agree about the dad too. And like, I I was like that guy's really familiar, and I couldn't even remember what I'd seen him in. And he's been like in a lot of movies that I'd seen, and I just couldn't have actually named him for you until I looked at his uh, filmography but uh i really enjoyed coleman domingo and he he was a standout for me too but i think i mean I, I mean i think she i think she the puerto puerto rico stuff is well acted and she has other scenes where she's where she's there i mean i don't i mean my favorite scenes probably her one with uh probably her one with pedro pascal more so than the one that she ultimately has with the um the accuser but i mean i i don't maybe don't have as many reference points for some of these black melodramas that you're talking about so maybe it just didn't feel as familiar of a performance to me but i i still really liked her there have been other regina king things i've liked more in the past but like i was i mean i I thought
1: she was fine i i would say for me that her scene with um the woman who accused Fawn fani um i i actually really loved that scene um there was a vulnerability to it that I really appreciated. Um, I think the audience again has this expectation um, that everything's going to work out fine because that's how movies are, right? You know, she's going to go to Puerto Rico and she's going to put on that wig and she's going to be all badass and she's going to go and and you know prove her son's uh, you know her son-in-law's innocence. And it doesn't work out that way. It, it just doesn't. And that's that that arduousness and that that pain where as the scene progresses you're watching it and you're like oh shit this isn't gonna work out she's not gonna like she's not gonna get what she needs and you know that it's happening and it still doesn't uh, to me it didn't for me it didn't you know protect you me from it it didn't it didn't make me say okay whatever you know and then we're gonna keep moving on i sat there and i was like oh shit like that really sucks like even though and even having read the book and having known how things like it was still you still you know, that scene comes on and part of me wondered it was like, you know, is this the part that they're gonna talk about? You know, that they just did, there were some changes made? Like what where is it coming? And you it just never happens. And you're just Something about that scene didn't. I,
0: I'm fine actually just talking about it now because at first I was trying to go more in order, but I'm like, why am I going in order? This movie jumps around a whole lot. Why can't we jump around a whole lot? Uh, <laughs> really? But, but, but I mean, I don't know. Something it, I'm going to go see the movie again because I think I'm sure I'll pick up on some more stuff, but I, um, something didn't sit right with me with that scene in the moment. I don't know if it felt like – I don't know if it came across as her badgering her to me and not that that shouldn't ring true or if it felt like maybe I – maybe the accuser should have felt like more of a victim or it, instead it felt like she more just lashed out and was angry. And I'm like, huh, I wish it was depicting her in a more sympathetic light. But I don't know. Something about it just like didn't completely sit well with me but I don't I don't really think there's a way to come away from that scene uh not not feeling totally satisfied unless it gets you that happy ending which obviously probably rings false so I don't exactly know what I want from it but I for whatever reason in the moment like I I just didn't I I didn't feel great after that scene but that might be the point I suppose yeah I
2: think (laughs) think it was yeah well I think the reason that you were you know that scene didn't you know had you feeling a little bit odd I think that it's, you were responding to the fact that Regina King isn't a character. She's just a caricature, you know? She she doesn't have anything going on other than the fact that, you know, Regina King is a great actress and, you know, she's really trying with very little. Uh, they, they They have this conversation about very real-world grounded stuff, but, you know, they don't feel like anybody. So these non-entities are discussing this very lofty topic, and it all amounts to nothing. The same goes for the scene with – uh oh man, what's his name? The guy from Widows?
0: Uh, Brian Tyree Henry. You didn't like that scene?
2: I liked him, and I really liked the monologue that he gave. But it just amounts to nothing because he's talking to Alonzo who is nothing in this movie he leaves no imprint uh he's and and like you know like it, it's hard for me to see this movie and i it's hard for me to really tear down a movie that you know is trying to address things that i care about but you know the way that it goes about it is it doesn't do the work behind you know making you feel for who these people are and then when they talk about this stuff it it means nothing okay well, uh, well. Sorry, keep going. Anyone? With- no, go ahead, Teddy.
0: No, well, we'll also, we're all, all push back on that a little bit. Was even if I'm not here arguing with you a lot about your points about their development of, of Alonzo and uh, and Tisha's characters, that what I'll say about the first about the Brian Tyree Henry scene, then the Dave Franco scene is on the Brian Tyree Henry scene, or, or just how we're seeing alonzo and tish go through the movie like we're seeing them actually like at least be op- optimistic until the events that led to him being in jail occur like they're looking for an apartment they're getting engaged they're pretty happy they're kind of doing their own thing um she i mean i guess it, she hasn't officially moved in with him yet it's kind of what it, it seems like because they're looking for a place to live but like she is kind of like making some kind of home with him and, the, and you can at least tell they're happy even if you don't understand why they like each other um they're still going around the city doing things together and they're happy and they're and they're a little insecure and maybe still at that point a little naive to some of the some of the evils that are going to befall them and i mean for, I, I i do think it is even if you don't know a lot about alonzo you know you've seen him be have all these experiences already to that point and then you have uh brian Henry come in and drop some of like some like real shit on him and the fact that like he is imparting all of this onto someone that has um had some mostly positive experience up and up, uh, positive experiences up until that point i do think actually like is a pretty interesting presence just to drop right into the middle of the movie. I don't, Elijah, what do you think about the Brian Tyree Henry scene?
1: I, I mean, I liked it a lot. I, I also felt, I mean, and I think I, I mentioned this as soon as I came out of the movie three weeks, two or three weeks ago, and I saw it and I'm pretty sure I, I messaged this to one of you guys. I think I said, you know, that scene is very much, you know, hitting the nail on like, you know, it's very on the nose, but to me, he was talking to Fonny, as much as he was talking directly to the audience. Right. Um, And I think that's kind of one of these layers of text of the movie is there's moments in the movie where the audience is literally being directly addressed through narration. There's moments where the audience is being addressed through a character saying something that, you know, within the context of the narrative that is very clearly aimed at the audience and there's moments where things, where, where the experience is made to make the audience be aware of what they're feeling and what they're watching. And to me, that scene with Brian Tyree Henry fell kind of in the middle there, where it was, there was a degree of staginess to it, where, yeah, it, it is a guy talking to the audience, sort of monologuing. But to me, again, it's that, you know, it breaks that barrier and it does, you, you're not insulated from what he's saying you can't sit there and be like oh i'm just watching a movie from for me at least you know i you're very aware that you're watching a movie but in that moment that doesn't help you as the audience to me that that was a, a very poignant and very uh, you know heartfelt connection that was made there um uh between the characters and between I- you as you know
2: yeah, I I do understand that because I did have that feeling watching a bo- movie that I liked a lot more, Black Klansman, uh, during the scene where Kwame Ture, I'm sorry, I might be mispronouncing his name. Well, Kwame Ture, um, you got uh, it, you got it. Great. Um, the scene where you know he, you sit through a whole speech that he gives, uh, and the audience is just subjected to it. I loved that scene because I thought that you know I thought that it took the audience somewhat hostage and subjected. Like weren't you also seeing it?
1: were also seeing it with a bunch of white people? And I was seeing it with a bunch of white people. It was I, wonderful. I'm, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I actually like that scene more than Brian Tyree the scene too. Just on on the principle that while I liked the way Brian that that scene was shot, that was very to me that was very okay. That's Juan Um But the the scene with Kwame Ture in uh, in Black Klansman was.
2: Phenomenally shot, mm, and the, the shot—the black faces on the black shots background. Black, oh,
1: it's fucking brilliant! Oh, yeah, no, it's wonderful.
2: <laughs> really brilliant. It's wonderful. Yeah, it, it is really, really wonderful. And I think the beyond like just the fact that you know one is a guy giving a monologue in a chair, and the other is this you know set piece. Um, I think another reason that I you know prefer that scene in Black Landsman is that you know he's you know even though that scene comes on early in the movie, I think that Spike does put in the work. He puts in the work to make you feel uh, for the, that character, uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 cop character who's the protagonist. Um, here in the other movie, uh, Beale Street, <laughs> uh, this man is sitting in a chair talking to a friend of his from way, way back. And, you know, yes, he's talking to the audience, but he's also it's also a scene where he's talking to, you know, someone who is apparently incredibly close to him. And I don't. I don't get this person that he's talking to and he's been in the movie from the beginning. So it, it just felt like nothing to me.
1: I, I would say I, I agree that they're, that they're supposed to be close, but I did also like the movie makes you kind of uneasy about Brian Tyree Henry when they first introduce him. Like it's not really clear what his intentions are when he comes up to funny, like, and the movie plays on that and it plays on in another scene which i think we're going to talk about shortly with with Dave Franco but to me i like that they had that element where it's like when tish is describing it in the narration it's sort of just like he really awkwardly like comes up on to them on the street and it like invites himself back to their house and it's i think it put it's, for me it's putting you in that mindset to be like okay where is this going yeah. what am i what am i listening to here because You know, it's you you want to almost not like Brian Tyree Henry. And I think and maybe I'm kind of getting way too ahead of myself or way into the meta text here. But I think that this movie had a lot of things that were um, imprinted in the style in terms of things that would communicate well to African-American audiences and things that were meant to, to communicate to white people watching the movie. And to make us aware of our, you know, biases and things like that. And I think that was something that was kind of geared towards white people is like, that's a situation that we'd be put off by, you know, that we, that it's, that's implied that we'd be put off by is like, you know, this is a very normal African American man. But why are we, why do we feel uneasy about hearing him speak? Why do we feel uneasy about inviting him in?
2: I think that you have... You're onto something there, at least, because, I mean, I I saw it as just, all right, he saw his boy on the street, and they went, so I, I could get behind that, I guess. I still don't think that it was, I think it, it, it suffers from the big flaw of the movie, but I could, I could co-sign that, yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. No, no, <laughs> no, I, I, I am kind of with you, though, and Elijah, and like, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember specifically what gave me that feeling, but I also did have that feeling where I, I is this guy going to be up to no good and it it is pretty interesting when he it reveals itself to be something other than that and i certainly had that sensation for a moment but i uh i I did want to get to the dave franco scene too because i um i think i think it's a pretty i think it's a pretty important one actually but i think it's also been a pretty divisive one in some of the criticism i've read and um whether it be people just not being able to take take dave franco seriously because of other things they know him from or that they think it's just a or or whether it's because they I, I heard a I read one piece where it was just like oh this is Barry being very unsubtle and here's this friendly Jew and not really thinking any more about it than that uh, Daniel how did that
2: how did that scene strike you It reminded me of a Green Book. Oh God, and I want that I want to be on record saying that is an insult. I mean I don't think <laughs> you, that the scene you, you, people, is necessarily <laughs> like I don't think that the scene is necessarily like you know. Terrible, terrible. It's not terribly directed or anything like that. And I do like the home building, you know, like, you know, the little pantomime, you know, building their apartment out of this empty loft uh, space. But like, I don't know, it just it's so insubstantial. And I mean, the movie doesn't change at all if you remove it. And like you know, it's just hey, there's some good guys out there too. Yay, you know, it it, it amounted to nothing for me. Uh, it was fluff. Well,
0: maybe Don't I'm maybe care. maybe I'm giving it too much credit then because I mean, what what I kind of took from it was here is a guy like doing them a real solid. And I think it's almost, I think it, it it benefits from you knowing what's going on in the rest of the movie. But like I thought, well. Yeah, this guy might be doing a nice thing for them and helping them find an apartment, but I, I I actually thought about it in the context of Green Book and how it it's almost this movie saying, Yeah, one white whereas you might people might look at Green Book and think think it's being very simplistic and showing that like, oh, if one white person can just like learn to be a little less racist and nice to a black person, we can cure racism. And here I took it as one white person being nice to some black people is gonna do nothing to solve so many other problems that they have because of everything else working against them. You know, like the guy that's going to rent them apartments, not going to change the fact that like we have a like a systemically racist criminal justice system, and that was kind of that was kind of what I don't know. M- like maybe I'm giving him like way too much credit for thinking about it in those terms, but I just thought it was actually a really nicely shot scene and a very sweet. And I bought Dave Franco as this guy, even as crazy as that is. I him, did too. Yeah. Him no, being I orthodox thought that it shoe. Was fine. I thought he didn't overplay it, and I and he. I, I don't know. I thought he sold the character and he, and it was really nice the way they kind of moved around that apartment. And I just kind of thought, like, wow, like, this is really nice, but these people's lives are like still going to be upended and there's not going to be anything to. Same with the lawyer. And, you know, I, that was one thing I thought about was that, like, there's, in Moonlight, it is very, it almost jumps out to you how few white people there are in Moonlight in a way. Like, there's like a guidance counselor that has like four lines and she is extremely unhelpful and that's it. And, you know, that movie's addressing the race relations in a different way. Here, I mean, it's very clearly two white people that are, like, trying to do good by them, Finn Wintrock's lawyer and Dave Franco's character. And I think it goes to show, like, just because a couple, like, white white people want to do good doesn't mean that, like, that's really going to help anything in the bigger picture. And I thought it was kind of impressive that he had this nicely shot scene that was very good, good-hearted but ultimately kind of meaningless, and I thought that was kind of the point.
1: I don't totally agree, and I know that. I mean, I've already made it, and I, I think to both of you clear that I really like the scene, and I part of it is because, to me, it was an attempt, and I think a successful attempt to rehabilitate James Baldwin's reputation with anti-Semitism, hmm. um, because that's there historically. Um, James Baldwin didn't really have a great track record with Jewish people. I actually didn't know that. Um, yeah, he he wrote a he wrote a very um, elaborate defense of anti-semitism basically where he said that it's okay for african americans to be um to be uh to to be suspicious of jews um because jews are landlords i do remember reading that yeah jews are shopkeepers and jews are other things that are you know that function as part of an oppressive system and i i it's it's an instance of like okay I get where that's coming from, but that's really not great. Like that's no, really no. bad. Yeah. Um so I I, I liked that and I feel like in a way this was Barry Jenkins kind of walking that back into the 21st century, and it may have felt out of place because it doesn't fit with that with that narrative and with the rest of the film, which is very um, suspicious of the motivations. I mean, even with Finn Whitrock as the lawyer. We do get a scene of him later on where he really where we really I guess do feel that you know maybe he really does care and maybe he really does want to try to help but there's a lot of revisions to get to that point where people say you know why are you trusting him what you know what is he in here for what is he trying to gain like it it very much establishes that they're skeptical of him um and and so this scene with them this is the only instance where this occurs where he goes <laughs> they go in and, um, I, and I did like that it did sort of emulate, again, that uneasiness where they're coming in and they don't really know. Like, we've had a lot of discussion up until that point about how landlords that they've interacted with are either trying to, you know, um, uh, kind of have an affair with Tish or they're, you know... And then scared off once
0: they learn that she has a
1: the black man husband. that she's with, yeah. So, so we've got that, but it's really not the same kind of context where we there there is this ingrained distrust at first um but i do think they kind of try to build that in the scene that they go there and it's not you know dave franco's not all that helpful at first you know they come into the apartment and it, you know it's just a big fucking warehouse it just looks like trash like there's no you know and you get to the you're starting to get this sense it's like oh god where is this going like this is only going to get worse and he i feel like it walks that line really well and the end is hammy and probably unnecessary but okay. to me yeah
2: yeah, yeah. And it but also I accentuates think... the fact that you know he's like he says like you know something like well you know i just love people in love and i'm like me too so where are they yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh he also said the line about how i'm my my mother's son or whatever i mean you know i kind of thought that in the moment like that's a really corny line but at the same time like i didn't think he was like asking for too much of a pat on the back either like he was like flustered i i thought he was flustered a little bit in the moment when they put him on when they put him on the spot he wasn't trying to be like you know i'm just a friend of the i i I," almost like he could have said i'm just a friend of black people like he could have said something like that and i think it would have rang more false and the fact that he did seem at a little bit of a loss for words almost like made it better and seemed like it was coming from a more genuine place to me.
1: Yeah. And I, I think for me, it was as, as somebody who's Jewish, that notion that he, you know, kind of hints at that, it's, you know, sometimes the only thing that separates us from us, from them is who are, you know, who our parents are. Um, cause that is, that is a Jewish principle, um, and I, I liked the way that that was communicated. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We could go back and forth about whether or not it was necessary. But I, for me, it, I liked the scene. Maybe I liked the scene in a vacuum more than I liked it in the actual movie. But,
2: you know. I, I have a question here. Yeah. I have a question. Um, Elijah, you've read the original book, right? Yeah. So, is the book non-chronological? Um, that's a good question. I don't honestly
1: remember. I don't. I don't think it. Is. I'm pretty sure it's told in chronological oh, order. I, I thought Maybe I read. It. I thought I read somewhere that it was. Maybe not. It might. Mm, it's been. It's been a little while since I have read the book. To be honest, it's been. It's been a little while. And the book. I mean, the the plot is the same. It's just told differently. It's told more. Uh, you know, more expansively. Um, which is funny because it's, it's a pretty short book, if I recall. But the point, it's not as, I don't know, it's, it didn't seem as, the film, maybe the film's a little bit less narrative-driven. I think it is told non-chronologically. I, I, I don't know, I'm just talking now. I don't really yeah, know. I, got, but I, got I can't you. answer what, your
2: question. What is, man, what is Barry's problem with just telling a story, man? Look, <laughs> I know you guys like Moonlight. I do not. I think that one of the big, Faults is just baked into the the, the the script in that it's divided upon among three different portions of this kid's life, and then it skips over all the interesting parts. Uh, here, I don't think that telling the story non-chronologically necessarily added too much. If anything, I think it just added to the, you know, the smoke screen that I see, where, like, you know, he, you know, tells it non-chronologically, scenes flow strangely into and out of each other there's like the soaring orchestral score and you know people fall for that stuff without realizing oh there's nothing there at the core.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't need uh, any Nicholas Bertel uh slander on this podcast Daniel you can t- you can, t- you, can, t- you, can t- <laughs> t- you can take that out of here.
2: Uh, I did like the score to be clear. I did uh, okay. like the score but um that being said a part of me just said man if Tyler Perry got this dude to score his movies People would take them more seriously.
1: Tyler Perry would need a lot more than Nicholas Bertel, though, to make something on a technical level. I understand where you're coming from when you say that you know Tyler Perry maybe does the black family drama better than Barry Jenkins, but... I think what separates them is that Tyler Tyler Perry, and I can say this now as somebody living in Atlanta, Tyler Tyler Perry does not have the technical wherewithal to do what Barry Jenkins has done in his films. I don't think Tyler Perry knows how to
2: do that. I agree that he is not nearly as technically proficient. I think he's a better storyteller. And I think that at the end of the day, that's really what matters. Acrimony, which I saw last year, I think is a better told story with a stronger character, with more understanding of who these people are. And I think that if Barry Jenkins one day wakes up from his stupor and learns how to do that basic, basic storytelling, you know, mechanic, like I think that I'm actually going to start liking him more. Man, like (laughs) you and I, you and I tell a joke like, oh, Two men walk into a bar. The third ducks. Barry Jenkins was told that story by saying, would, would, this thing that binds us all, would, that, you know, that, and he'd go on this tangent, and you'd never hear about the guys.
0: I don't know. I can, I mean, like, I I don't know. Moonlight really moved me, but I can almost see what you're saying in that, like, I would have liked to have seen how he got from the second Chiron to the third Chiron, like, that probably would have been really interesting, uh, but I, I I but as far as with Beale Street, like I I can see how a narrative like a just a straight linear version would have been like more my would have been a little I don't know would have maybe even kept my interest a little more. I mean maybe maybe it is easier to see the just see the characters grow and if if you do it that way as opposed to jumping around like they do. I don't know. I don't really know what is added by doing it that way.
2: I just don't. I, I don't mean to say that. I think that it should have been a linearly told story. I just mean to say I don't understand. What did we get from not doing that? That's
0: yes, what I'm saying. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it adds to jump around like that. Even if it didn't really offend me as much in the moment, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, did did you guys have any other any other thoughts on the um, on the Puerto Rico sequence?
2: No, it's just you know hokey, overblown. I kind of laughed at toward the end. Like I, I can't lie. Uh, it, it you know I was talking to a friend who said that like you know the difference between. Uh, Barry Jenkins and uh, uh, uh Tyler Perry as Tyler Perry has unintentional hilarity within his movies you know laughs that he didn't intend to be laughs and I said well the Puerto Rico scene
1: I be inclined to agree I mean it's it's to- the the Puerto Rico scene starts off tonally a lot different than the rest of the movie um you know it's it's extru- overly cinematic maybe even um you know it's very much like You know, uh, you know, putting out fire with gasoline, Quentin Tarantino-ish. Like she, you know, arriving, and everybody in the theater that I was in was going like crazy when she, you know, arrives, and she, she like puts on the, you know, she's like trying on the wig and putting on the dress, and you know, it's very dramatic. But to me, that again, and I, I hate to keep harping on a point, but to me, that was part of taking the audience on that journey. That she gets there and. When she gets there, her spirits are high too. She's in Puerto Rico and she thinks she's going to save the day, and, and it doesn't work out that way.
2: And at the I, end would, of the- um, I get you, but I I don't know, man. You're an hour into hour or so into if Beale Street could talk, and you think that this is going to be triumphant. <laughs> like I I can't say that I had that same impression going in.
1: Right. I, I mean, it's hard because you're they're not. She's the, the movie's not communicating to you what necessarily you should feel with the narrative it's what the character is feeling um and i can i can understand that that might be a like an odd thing at that point in the movie to be expecting that you would view it from the character's perspective and not from your
2: own so maybe the issue with
1: maybe with the issue with the film is immersion but i don't you know
2: Mm, i think that I would agree to that if it were for the fact that I, I don't think that Regina character, Regina King's character is a character to begin with. So if the expectation was for us to, you know, for me to understand what she is feeling, it it, it didn't work because I didn't know who she was to begin with. I didn't know who landed on that plane on, you know, so yeah. What about
0: the what about the very end, Elijah? I heard it deviates from the book a little bit in that respect where he's he's still in jail, but it seems like in a way they're keeping the family unit together.
1: Yeah. Um I would say that it's kind of it's maybe it's it's more I would say maybe the movie is almost more hopeful. Um To me, I think I mean, also the fact you know, that think, t- the fact that he took a plea deal
0: almost implies that like they are going to be a family again at some point because he probably got fewer years because he did. But um, so in that way, it is definitely hopeful. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, I, I, the book leaves you on a on a much more depressing note, which is something that I I almost kind of wish the movie did, but I guess maybe there there is a bit of uh, there's a bit of optimism in the book too. But there's definitely more of a sense in the book of like this is one story but this is this is happening so much um and that that's something that i feel like maybe maybe i missed it in the last scene but i felt like if they were trying to communicate what the book had communicated at the end more so at the end of the movie that like you know that scene uh, you know when they're at the table and there's that you know the cut back to the, the the wider angle um I mean, maybe I'm being too too hammy again here but if it if the idea had been that you know there's all these white prison guards and all these african-american prisoners like that's that would have been so on message for the book which is just like you know there's an entire generation that was completely destroyed pretty much by this cycle of abuse um, and I, I think that's what the movie is trying to communicate and I th- because I think that's what the book was trying to communicate. And I don't know if having a somewhat optimistic ending like that, you know, the book had optim- – I think even James Baldwin said that he was – you know, the book was optimistic. But I, I feel like the book definitely communicates more like, uh, you know, these are the kind – of these are the reasons why if people want to sit and, and say now – uh, and, you know, this was contemporary, this was contemporaneous to James Baldwin's life. But it, as as people watching it now, if we want to understand why society as a whole has, you know, this this stigma and, and, and why African-American culture is in the position that it's in right now, that we have to contend with those facts um, and what happened to, you know, to African-American men up and through the, you know, well through the 1970s and 80s. But, you know what was so prevalent at that time period even you know, because and i guess the, the book, deviation but go ahead no 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 no. no I, I was I'm, just gonna
0: say because the, the book is obviously written in the early 70s i think some of that stuff almost takes on like another level of resonance when i mean who knows what baldwin thought race relations were going to be like 45 years from the time he wrote the book but um I mean, the I mean, the fact that a lot of that stuff are—it's still problems today. You know, the the criminal justice system, mass incarceration, all that. Like, I don't know if he thought all those problems were going to be solved, but the fact that like he was obviously thinking about them, and that we're seeing this movie set back then, but we still know all that now. Like, th- those kind of moments have an effect on me when I see them in movies, just knowing where we are where we are at right now on those issues. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. I would. Oh, sorry, Daniel. Do you have, yeah, yeah, last thing. Do you have any other final points, Daniel?
2: Well. I't I, I know I've been hard on this movie, and you know, that's because I didn't like it. but <laughs> I do think, I do think that this is better than moonlight and medicine for melancholy. All right, why? I think that the man has progressed. Well, because medicine for melancholy is terrible, and uh, moonlight isn't that good, and this one had stuff that I liked. Uh, I liked all the technical stuff. I think the technical stuff is genuinely, really, really great. Um, and I do like the performances of the two dads. Uh, and you know, that's it. But like, you know, I think that it's a step in the right direction. I think that, you know, maybe in a couple movies, he'll make something that is, you know, good.
0: Well, next thing he has coming out is the underground railroad, uh, miniseries next year. So, uh, you got that, uh, Elijah, do you have any other final thoughts to impart upon us before we leave?
1: No, I mean, I thought, um, I just liked the movie. I, I I thought it was, I thought it was very affecting and I like, um, you know I'm always down for more experiential less narrative driven things, and if that makes me weird, then so be it but <laughs> i uh you know i just i i i i appreciated that the movie had you know kind of wanted to just take you for a ride and and let you see things um and not necessarily interact with them um and I like that so.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe uh, as I uh, expand my personal film uh, history and uh, knowledge by watching more older movies, whether it be other uh, – or just other things like more Wong Kar Wai stuff or stuff like that, I might I might have more an appreciation for some of what was in this movie or if I watch more stuff that's not as traditionally – a traditional narrative, I might get more out of that because like I said, I might have enjoyed a more straightforward version of this story. But I mean I still really appreciated a lot of it and I, I acknowledge a lot of what uh, Daniel's um, – hang ups were about these two main characters, but I just, I think I was so taken by a lot of everything that surrounded it, whether it be the, whether, whether it just be how, how they shot Harlem or, um, just the score and small moments. Like we didn't even really talk about them going into Diego Luna's restaurant. I mean, uh, that's a flex for Barry to get a guy that's blown up like Diego Luna just to like be in his movie for like 20 seconds. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, a lot of moments like that I really did enjoy, especially against the backdrop of like just knowing how uh, tragic the story was in some respects. So I, I don't know, I really appreciate it, even if I think Moonlight might be more my kind of movie, something that's just a leaner story in that manner that's just told in a little more straightforward way. But yeah, definitely recommend everyone check it out and go support this movie because even, even, even Daniel wants good things for Barry Jenkins, even if he just hasn't made a movie that connects with him yet. Uh, It'll
2: come, I'm sure. Yeah, so well, –
0: I hope. Okay, Elijah, do you have anything you want to personally plug before we sign off? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, we got uh, um, TBS has a couple of uh, shows rolling out. I, some of you may have missed. Uh, Angie Tribeca started started back up again. Um, oh, it did! Oh man, um, yeah. such a good company, we, man. Yeah,
0: I, I watched the first the... season of Angie Tribeca. I never. I need to get back into it.
1: Oh,
2: it's yeah, we, so good! I love it.
1: We dropped the entire new season uh, before New Year's. It was kind of quiet,
2: but uh, we oh, did, we man. dropped the entire season. Um, man, you guys! Man, you got to give me some notice. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, Miracle Worker starts up on uh, February twelfth, so that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be pretty fun. Uh, Steve Buscemi plays God, and Daniel Radcliffe plays an angel, and he has to convince Steve Buscemi not to destroy the world. So, I, we'll look for it on TBS
0: soon. Daniel, you want to plug your letterbox or anything like that?
2: Yeah, guys. Just add me on Letterboxd. It's uh, letterbox.com slash feloniousfunk. Felonious and funk. Have an F.
0: There you go. As usual, I'm at Josh joshjurnovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter, and same thing, but just two words on Letterboxd. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, coming up next, after you hear this podcast, the next couple will probably be on uh, Vice and then one on rbg slash on the base on the basis of sex gosh yeah uh i'm gonna do a joint one on those two movies but also one on vice so those are kind of uh related in certain ways uh and yeah i'm looking forward to that and stay tuned for that we'll see you next time